Hey, hey, this is Allie, and welcome to the Allie Worthington Show. It's where we gather, learn, share our stories, and have a great time. Every week, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know, who I like, and I respect, and I want to learn something from. And after we have that discussion, we are going to have coaching time. So I'm going to be answering your questions about life, about faith, and about business. Welcome to the show today. I'm with the hilarious Melanie Dale. She's a mom. She works in the movie industry in Atlanta, and that's all she's allowed to say because of NDAs. Even though I tried to pressure her before we got on the call to say more, she can't. And she's also a fantastic and hilarious author. We have an absolute blast together. She's so great. You're going to love her, and you're going to love the show. And after we talk to Melanie, I'm answering your questions about life and faith and business in our coaching time. The life question this week is from Maureen who said, how can I become a more bold and courageous woman? Well, we're going to give that a try. And then don't we all want that, right? And the faith question this week is from Jana, who asked, what do I do if I think God is telling me one thing, but no one in my life supports it? And the business question is from Penny, who said, I'm a multi-passionate in my pursuits. Can I launch my brand and focus on multiple things at once? I'll get into that. These are all great questions. I love getting your questions. You can send questions to me by Instagram DM, or if you're on any of my email gifts that I send out, my um, my gift of the Friday devotional or the Sunday happiness tips, you can reply back to me on those. I really do read them. Sometimes it just takes me a while. <laughs> and then I will answer your questions on a future show. But before we get started, I want to remind you that Blistem tickets are on sale and our Blistem podcast is launched. You can find it listed as the Blistem podcast. And in that show, I'm interviewing our speakers to find out their stories, their struggles, what worked for them, and to give some really practical takeaways. So the Blistem podcast is just going to go all the time, but know that it is like Blistem business focused. And Blistem is a conference for women who want to take their business and their life to the next level. It's a conference for women who want to leverage the power of the internet to build their dreams. So if you're a writer, a speaker, an entrepreneur, a photographer, a YouTuber, an influencer, you need to be at Blistem. We have content that's especially crafted for you if you're a beginner all the way through if you've been in business, you know, running your own business over a decade. Everything at Blistem is designed to help you reach that next level. So you can check out blistemconference.com and see more and watch some videos from years past. I'm so excited about today's show. Without further ado, here's my friend, Melanie Dale. Welcome to the show, Melanie. First of all, you are hilarious. I'm so excited to talk to you. This is the first time you've been on the show, but you live such an an interesting life. So you're a mom driving around a minivan. You also, you're in Atlanta and you do a lot of work in the film industry. I think your life is so cool. Tell me about it. I love that you start off that I'm living an interesting life and you say I'm a mom driving around a minivan. Like I think every (laughs) mom who drives around a minivan is like, is it though that interesting? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's totally interesting. I love my minivan. Um, I, I, years ago when I was being signed with my agent to, to write my first book, she made a comment about, oh, you're living an interesting life. And that kind of stuck in my head of like, make sure you're living an interesting life. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I, I think that's one of the goals of my life is that I make sure I'm keeping it interesting and I love meeting new people. And so I found, uh, few years ago that, you know, if I'm not careful, everyone in my life can kind of be the same. I, I have kids in school. I, I'm always driving kids to sports ball practices and I live in a cul-de-sac in the suburbs. And so it's easy for my life to just kind of be the same and meet the same kind of people. I love those kinds of people. That's my kind of people. But, um, I really have started looking for ways to always be meeting new people who are different than me and meeting people who live very different lives than me. And so when, you know, when the film industry headed to the Atlanta area, I was really excited. So I just, you know, do background work on various things. And it's so fun to just kind of take a day off my regular life and go and, uh, sit with a bunch of other extras from all different walks of life and get to know them and hear what they care about and what they do. And so that's just kind of become a way that I keep my life interesting Literally, it makes me want to move to Atlanta and go yeah. be an extra in movies. It's so fun. It's so fun. You meet all kinds of people. You meet moms like me who have mm-hmm. flexibility in their schedules and 
and you also just meet people who are, are so different and it's, it just makes the world a better place, I think, when we can get to know people. Oh, so good. I love it. I, I, I would completely love that. And then you're the author of three books. You have Women Are Scary, It's Not Fair, and In Freaking Fertility, which I feel like is the <laughs> best name of an infertility book ever. Now, the way we got connected years ago, I was working with my editor, who's now retired. Let's have a moment of silence for uh, Sandy. We love her. Uh, she was the best at Zondervan. And we were out at dinner and she was telling me about you and she was telling me about the book that you were working on and and she was telling me about how hilarious you are and you're trying to figure out a name and that you had sent her a necklace with mom balls. Can, I feel like you need to tell that story. That sounds like me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounds like something I would do. Yeah, um, I, have a, I have a necklace with mom balls that I can hang around my neck. Um, <laughs> Sure, as one does. Um, I I I wrote a chapter in Women Are Scary. It ultimately got edited out, which was neither my decision nor Sandy's. But um, it was called "Strap on, Strapping on Your or Strap on Your Mom Balls." Strapping on your mom. I think it's called "Strap on Your Mom Balls," and because it was really about like when you're getting to know other moms, and you know, it's it's awkward. It's like dating. That's a, the book is based on the idea of of making mom friends is like dating. So mom balls kind of became the thing. Um, and so even though it ultimately didn't make it into the book, that was kind of my thing. So oh, so good. Who knew that that would get edited out of a conservative Christian women's book? Shocking. Uh, it's shocking. so shocking. Yeah, I, there was a whole naughty list that had to go. I, now, and mind you, you guys, you need to picture this. Sandy is in her 60s, and she's very, like, like she's very proper. Like, how do we describe Sandy? She liked my mom balls. And, and Sandy just got the biggest kick out of it. And you should have seen her at dinner telling the story. And I was like, I, I can't. I'm having an out-of-body experience right now just with this conversation going around me. But the book is amazing. I got an early copy of it before it came out and reached out to you and said, I think you're amazing. This book is amazing. Uh -huh. Because you, you have the ability to write in such a funny way that's rare. Wow, thank like, you. Yeah, it's really it's it's hard to write in a funny way, I think. But I can remember reading it at the pool with my kids and just snort laughing. It was so <laughs> funny. Because you you capture how hard it is to make friends as an adult woman, but wow, you're so funny. Such oh, such thanks. a good book. I'd love to kind of dive into like some takeaways from the book if there's somebody listening going, "Okay, well, how how do I make friends? I, I have kids now. I'm in like late twenties. I'm in my thirties, and it's so hard to make friends as an adult. Yeah, it is. It is, and I I do liken it to dating. And just like the other kind of dating, there are bases that I think we go around. Thankfully, they're different than the high school bases that we encounter or don't encounter. <laughs> <laughs> We're not supposed to encounter. We're not supposed to encounter. I mean, don't raise your hand or anything, but. Um, <laughs> So, but but I kind of noticed that my friendships, my mom relationships, um, kind of encountered a a uh, kind of four step process. Like we went around the bases, and so um, I noticed that base one, I would just sign my kid up for something like soccer or swimming lessons or whatever. And you show up, you're not really there to make friends, but then you'd find yourself in a waiting room or an area where everyone, or the sideline or wherever, and you're just all watching your kids. And that's kind of like first base. And so you have the opportunity to kind of get to know people in a very neutral kind of way. And so it's, I mean, sometimes that can be so awkward. It's small talk. Everyone hates small talk, but you can really start to get to know people. I mean, or you can stare at your phone and that's also fine. Sometimes I do that. But, but I found that first place, first base was kind of like a good, a good place where no one is trying to make friends, but you just naturally start getting into conversations with people and you might find someone who you want to get to know a little bit better. And, mm -hmm. um, and then if you play your cards right, that can lead to second base. And second base is when you actually want to be a little bit intentional with someone. You're like, okay, first base went well. I really like her. And so let's invite her to go to a neutral location, like a park or the Chick-fil-A <laughs> playland, if you're in my world. And, totally. Yeah. And, and so you take your kids and they play a little bit and you get to know her a little bit more. The conversation gets a little bit deeper. Um, and that's second base. And then if that goes well, then third base is where you invite her back to your place 
or she invites you to her place. And so then at that point, I think there's a level of vulnerability there. Um, I love third base because you might see her dirty laundry. There might be dirty dishes. If you come to my house, you're going to find like a pile of jammies that I just peeled off my child and they're still there from the morning, <laughs> you know, um, as if the rapture occurred and it's like the child's gone now. I don't know. Um, there's just like clothing everywhere in my house. There's um, dishes everywhere. Uh, one time a friend of mine invited me over for a third base date and I helped her fold laundry and you nothing bonds you more than like folding folding someone else's uh, husband's boxers. And you're like, yeah, wow, I'm I feel not, like I I'm know you so that. well. I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not ready to go. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to do chores at my own house. Let's just go over to someone else's house and add them. That's that's intimacy right there. It is. It is. And you don't have to do that. You can play third base how you want, Allie. But but I just <laughs> I just love that that vulnerability that can happen when you're in someone's home or when yeah. you invite someone into your home. Your kids have to learn how to share, which I don't know what your kids were like when they were little, but my kids, that was a process. Oh, yeah. um, I had to prepare them for sharing. Um, so that's third base. And then the, the coolest thing happens after that. Once you've gotten to know someone around all these spaces, then you can go to fourth base, and which my husband informed me, like, after the editing process of this book is actually called home. I'm like, I don't know, baseball. Who decided <laughs> on this metaphor? My gosh. So... <laughs> so home base um, or fourth base, um, that's when you don't even need the kids anymore. You like each other so much that you ditch the kids, you go out for mom's night out, or you grab coffee in the parking lot before the end of preschool or whatever. You, you get to know each other on a whole different level without the kids, um, and it's, it's glorious. You talk about things besides parenting. It's, it's so fun. I, a good fourth base date can last me for a really long time. And I always know I need one when I start to get really short tempered and frustrated with the kids, like get me out of here. So, oh. um, so that's the, the premise of the book. And then because we're talking about dating, there's a few chapters at the end about, um, breaking up, you know, because sometimes a mom might break up with you or you have to break up with someone and it's just not working out. And that can be just as painful as a romantic relationship. So it really can be. Yeah, I, yeah. I got broken up with about six years ago and mm. I never knew what I did wrong. Uh. I like there was no discussion when there were, everything was always fine when we talked, but I got broken up with and it was heartbreaking. And I thought, this is so weird that I'm so sad because I'm not friends with someone anymore. That is, that's so hard. It's devastating. I actually, I wrote a blog post uh, years ago before, you know, before the book about breaking up and I thought it was going to be funny and I kind of wrote it just a funny way. And my comment section, this was back when people commented on blogs, mm, you know, I, days. I know I miss them. Um, but my comment section filled up with like real grief and people who really yeah. were hurting. And I was like, gosh, this is a bigger topic than, you know, I was just trying to be funny. And I realized this, I hit a nerve, like people are really grieving out there because it is difficult. Oh, yeah. it, it's, it's so hard. And I, I think I may have mentioned like friendship breakups in a, at the end of each show, I do a coaching session and I answer questions. And I mentioned one a few months ago and I got so many messages in from women going, mm -hmm. I had a friend breakup and it's, it's, I'm in the middle of the grief process. And I, mm -hmm. and I think for a lot of women, we actually feel bad for our grief because it feels odd to be so sad because we've lost a friendship. Mm -hmm. So just being able to go, this is what I'm going through. This is painful. This is terrible. I know I'll make it out. But don't heap on self-condemnation because we feel bad, because we feel right. grief that something's happened, for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple different kinds of breakups, right? There, like, I, as I was writing the book, I was like, okay, well, you've got the phase out. And that, mm -hmm. that's really for like the early, early bases. Like if you have soccer practice with someone and it's fun to chit chat, but then soccer ends and your kid decides not to sign up next season, you can just kind of phase that out. That's not, there's nothing really, really big and dramatic about that. That's just normal relationship you know, it just kind of phases out sometimes. But if you have rounded those bases with someone and you're at third or fourth base and you guys have really shared and grown deep and, and really been there for each other, then that you can't really phase that out. Like that, that warrants a conversation or something if you need to let the conversation, you know, you need to let the relationship go. And so that involves confrontation. So some of, of what I had to figure out, like, well, how do we confront well? How do we confront mm -hmm. With kindness, we want our kids to be kind. We want people to be kind to us. How do we confront with kindness? How do we fight fairly? Like, how do we time it correctly and make sure that our uh, we're not 
wounding this person and you know if they've shared something really difficult like a scar from their past we don't want to wound them in that when we're in the middle of a fight like that's off limits and so how do we how do we fight fairly how do we treat people with kindness even as we're disagreeing and um, trying to figure out how to make this work uh, yeah it's, it's really important things to think about and then also as as friends who have kids around the same age there's always a problem because if our kids don't like each other or mm-hmm. the woman that you really want to be friends with, one of her kids is just a jerk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that that brings in so many different awkward interactions that I, I've never found a way to really handle that well. Because you can't say to someone, you know, your kid is kind of horrible. <laughs> He's going through a phase. You know, you just can't. I mean, if sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes there's, there's a kid who's violent or he's really mean or a bully. Um, but then you have kids who, who just go through phases who aren't nice. And your kids don't want to be around those kids. So then you have to awkwardly kind of make excuses for why all the, the whole family isn't going to get together. But, hey, let's just go out to dinner alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have to decide if the relationship's worth it or not. Yeah. You know, and if it's just painful every time and, you know, it's it's hasn't progressed that far, then, yeah, you can just kind of phase that out and be like, all right, let's find someone else who works a little bit better, who clicks better with our family, but maybe whose parenting style is a little bit similar. But but if, if she is worth it to you, then I think that's when you do kind of go, we're going to have to skip some steps and go to go to fourth base because yeah. the kids aren't working out. And um, the good thing is, as your kids get older, it's less and less about everybody all together, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, you have older kids too now. And um, when I wrote this book, my kids were a lot younger, but as they've gotten older, I've noticed that my friendships definitely have changed as my kids, you know, they have their own friends and I'm not necessarily friends with their friends' moms anymore and yeah um and that's kind of kind of just interesting to see how that morphs as they grow up well when my kids were little I was really friends with anybody if they found a little friend at preschool or I met some of my best friends in life at Chick-fil-a playgrounds Mm -hmm. with the kids playing together yeah but we really fall in sometimes to friendships with people just just because they're around yeah yeah and And for me and for me I'm an introvert so any situation where there's a ton of moms in a in like a mom activity, I'm just gonna sit there quietly. So in the days before the iPhone, I, I thought it would be perfectly acceptable to go to a class and sit in the corner and read a book. Apparently, that's super rude. Like there are there are unspoken rules of of social society that apparently I never knew because I was like oh I have this new book while the kid is at practice for an hour I'll sit in the corner apparently that's super super rude a phone we can get away with now because everybody does it uh, um I bring books I bring books I mean you I, do? Wrote, I wrote a whole book about mom relationships but I still bring books and, you know I, I just try to balance it like I, a little chit chat get to know people a little bit but also like put my head in a book sometimes I well see I I, I was never a chit chatter because I'm shy Okay, yeah. And so I think for some reason people never imagined that I'm shy, so it just came off as rude. And it wasn't until one of my friends was like, hey, everybody thinks you're super snobby because you won't talk to anybody because you show up with a book. And I was like, I'm just nerdy and shy. I'm not snobby. <laughs> like there are, oh there are all these things that I just never caught on about when I was a young mom. I just never yeah. had any clue. I was, I was the young mom. We lived in Memphis, so it was like, you know, super southern and upscale. And I got invited to a Christmas cookie party. I had never been to a Christmas cookie party. It was just, it was not my thing. I didn't understand what was going on. So I literally bought a bunch of Oreos and other box cookies. And I came to that cookie party and they were like, Allie, you bake your cookies and you bring your favorite recipe and you share your recipe with the other yeah. women. And I was like, oh, I really, I just really like Oreos. Like, I was a mess as a young mom. You know people secretly love those Oreos. They were stuffing them in their purse. And they were fudge-covered Oreos, right? You and I have talked about Oreos on my podcast. Yes. (laughs) I love them. Yes. There's there's s'mores Oreos that just came out. We call them Schmoreos. And they are a gift from above. Yeah, yeah, they are. One of my boys loves the fudge dipped ones so much that he asked for them for Christmas when he turned 10. Oh, my god! You gosh. can't find them anywhere. Like, you, they'll be at Target and they'll be at Kroger once. I bought a case from Amazon, <laughs> gave them, like, wrapped them like a big gift for Christmas, and they were the hit of his Christmas. I respect that his life choices. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> there are all these unspoken rules. Yeah. Um, or just 
just rules of engagement for making friendship and for women and their social groups. I just never had. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, when it comes to initiating with people, like what you're talking about being an introvert, I do think there's a, two different kinds of people. There are people who are like naturally gifted at, in, at initiating. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who that's not really their thing. And so I think if you are an initiator, that's a superpower that not everyone has and you need True. to realize that. And so those of us who are initiators, we need to keep doing it. I, I hear from a lot of people who are initiators that they struggle with always being shot down that, you know, well, they keep saying no. And so obviously if, if, you know, you don't want to get into the stalker territory. So like <laughs> no means no people. However, um, if, if you're putting yourself out there and you feel like people are saying no a lot, like my encouragement is to just, just keep asking, just keep, just keep starting up a conversation, getting people together, getting people to do things because we need you. You have a superpower. Not everyone has. Um, some people just aren't as gifted as initiating as you. And so, so keep up the good work. And when, when people tell you, no, don't take that personally and recognize that it, it might be that she's been burned before and she's afraid to get into a relationship. It might be that she's just really busy or tired. It might be a lot of things before just, she doesn't like your face. Like, (laughs) so, so just, um, initiate without expectations, I think. Just keep your expectations low and keep putting yourself out there. And then for people like you, Allie, who are not really initiators, who would who are like, I'm just going to read my book in the corner. Um, I mean, that is totally fine. And, and my advice for those of us who are not initiators would be to just pick a time where you can say yes, where maybe, okay, well, maybe today I'm going to show up and I'm going to purposely I'm going to hold my book, but I might not open my book. And I'm going to make an effort to like make eye contact with people around me. I'm going to make small talk. You know, if somebody tries to engage me in conversation, I'm going to say yes today. Or if somebody invites me to do something, I I don't have to say yes all the time, but maybe there's one time this week that I can say yes. Oh, that's so good. And I love how you say like the gift of initiation is a superpower because it really is. Mm -hmm. And whatever our individual gifts are, we always go, oh, well, that's just X, Y, and Z. It's nothing. Well, no. That's something huge, and it's a superpower that other people wish they had. So Mm -hmm. it's important for us to go, I have this gift. It's easy for me, but other people don't, and I really do appreciate it. Mm. We, we need all kinds of people, you know, yeah. and, and we all bring different things to the table. And sometimes like, like your cookies, like I'm not a baker either. And I show up to that kind of stuff. When I moved to the South, I, I got invited to a cookie thing like that. I'd never been to one and it was intimidating for me. So I am an initiator. I can put myself out there and make conversation with people, but oh my gosh, if you ask me to bake something and show up with a recipe, that's going to be more challenging for me. So we all have, <laughs> we all have things we bring to the table. <laughs> yeah. I could bake something as long as it first started out with a box. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that if you turn on your oven, it counts as cooking. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I can bake all day long. Um, I would love it if you had any just funny stories from the book of of women kind of navigating yeah. this world of adult relationships. Absolutely. I I say in the book that don't bother putting on airs because your kids or your pets will out you as the faker you are. So I definitely learned that the hard way. I learned everything the hard way, really. Um, <laughs> and so I um, had a bunch of people over for coffee at one point, um, kind of a group date. I talk about group dating in the book as well, where, you know, sometimes it's less intimidating if you get a bunch of people together. Yeah. And so I, I had a bunch of people over and I hid the dog bowls like I cleaned up pretended like we don't have pets in this house no look how clean we are you know so I cleaned everything my house is always dirty but this time it was perfect I um made the coffee and I did that thing where you like stack the matching mugs next to the coffee pot so no one needs to see the mess of mugs you have in the cat in the cabinet like oh no I just have these nice matching mugs right here that I got for my wedding that I'm pulling out (laughs) just for you people so I I stacked that up I baked muffins Allie which you know I don't bake but I like they were from a box or whatever, but I baked muffins and I was all excited and, and just, I was killing it. I, I was crushing it so hard. I was ready to, to invite these friends over. So they all came over. We had a lovely time. Everything was so perfect. My dogs didn't get in the way. Nobody saw the hairy dog bowl. Um, everybody had a great time. My muffins were a hit. And then as the last person left and I, I took her to the door, I came back to turn off the coffee pot and looked down and there was a turd in the middle of my kitchen floor. No. 
Yeah, like right by the coffee maker. Like my toe kicked it. Like there's no way that those women missed it. Like it was in a high traffic area. Wait, Ellen. was it was it from a child or a dog? Right, that is the question, isn't it? <laughs> I like to believe that it was from a pet. I'm I, I'm almost positive it was from one of my Yorkies. And so, um, but but the the thing that was insane is that no one said anything. So we went like the whole two hours, and no one ever said. And it was kind of like it'd been there a while. You could tell. Like, how did you miss it that morning? I don't know. Like, I was just trying to be the hostess with the mostest. And so, like, yes, I hid the dog bowls and I made it look like I didn't have pets. But at one point, one of them snuck into the room and dropped a deuce in the middle of my kitchen floor. So as I'm trying to be all awesome, everyone is going, she has a dog turd in the middle of her kitchen floor. Yeah. And no one told me. So anyway. I feel like that would just endear me to someone even more because yeah. that's real life. My <laughs> my 18-year-old still lives at home because he's going to go to – he's going to college next year, but he's going to live at home. He's going to college locally. And he had a friend over the other night, and I said, could you just pick up a little bit before people come over? And he goes, everybody knows that we aren't tidy. <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, you know, you're right. He goes, why, why change it now? This is how we live. Why and, change it? And this is the thing with living with so many men. Like when, when my husband first became a stay-home dad, it was so funny because people would come over and he would go, forgive the mess, Clean, cleaning up is my, ta- my job now and I don't do that much of it. Literally. Like that's what he would say. And men have no shame. Men are like, well, sure, there's magazines all over the table and there's this and there's that and there's toys everywhere, but this is how we're living, so come on in and live with it. I don't know what it is about us as women where we feel like the cleanliness is some sort of some sort of measure of our worth. I yeah. Obviously, I haven't bought into it, but, but that's, that's cultural expectations. I don't know where we learn it. I don't know, but like I, I am messy and I do the thing where like I apologize for it as people come in. And then I, I hear myself, I'm like, stop apologizing, you know, but I'm like, hey, come on in. I'm so sorry the house is a mess, as if it's not always a yeah. mess. Like it always is, but I'm <laughs> pretending that just that morning you caught me at a bad time. But no. Yeah, people live here. Like there's there's a welcome mat that I would love to get if Mark would let me get it, but he just thinks he thinks it's terrible because like <laughs> this is his secret issue with our family. The welcome mat is um, welcome, and we hope you like dog hair. Yeah, Because we have a golden retriever, and there's dog hair everywhere. Like, I, I say, well, it's the glitter of the household. Like, we might as well, we might as well enjoy it. But it, it tears him up. He can't even handle it. But, but we have a golden. This is how we're living. Aw, and they're so sweet. They're so sweet. They're so sweet. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's real life. And I think also, as you're, as you're rounding those bases, and third base and home, you people come over and they see your real life and you can relax and kind of show them who you are and there's there's no more pretending that we don't have dog bowls out or that's right you know we live here people live here probably the number one piece of advice that the the number one thing i've learned when i we are navigating these spaces whether you know you're on second or third is i i call it the wow that's so awesome approach (laughs) because (laughs) as you're getting to know another parent at some point in the relationship, if it goes very far, you will encounter an opinion that she has that you disagree with. And you will be like, oh my gosh, my opinion is so much better researched and healthier than her opinion. And she is an idiot. Like in your head, you at some point will have this feeling of like, I can't believe that is her opinion about whatever. And so I train myself and 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 share with others that we need to... Ha- have the wow that's so awesome approach like wow that's so awesome and and the idea is that we say tell me more about whatever it is that you're talking about whatever it is that you're spouting off about that you're really really passionate about that I secretly disagree with like tell me more like I want to know how did you arrive at that what in your life led you to come to this conclusion and wow that's so awesome not that we're agreeing with what everybody says but I think when we affirm people like tell me more about that we're developing a, a sense of trust like you can share your real beliefs and your real feelings and the way that you do life and the way you're raising kids you can share that with me and I'm not going to be judgy about it I'm going to listen and I'm going to be interested to know more about you, even if we arrive at different conclusions. So, wow, that's so awesome. And some of us have to have to really practice that without sarcasm. 
Wow, that's so awesome. <laughs> it's not that. It's like genuine. Oh my gosh, tell me more about that thing that you just said. Yeah. And I so feel good. like that has that has allowed me to learn so much more about other people and to appreciate where other people are coming from. Maybe they're doing parenting in a way that is different than that I am, but when I approach people with more open-mindedness, I think it it does establish trust and it leads to better relationships. No, oh, so good. So good. Okay, I have a question for you because we haven't okay. talked about this in real life. You are working on another book, book number four. Tell me about it. I am. It's a parenting book. <gasps> no way. And I love that. I do know the title. Share the title. Calm the heck down. <laughs> okay, so is it written? Are you editing it? When does it come out? I want all the details. It's done. It's coming out in 2020 with okay. Simon and Schuster, and mm -hmm. I'm super excited. I love my editors; they are fantastic. And so, um, I I don't have a specific date for you yet. It is written; it's turned in. I've done a lot of editing. I'm waiting on copy edits right now with it. And so, it was such a joy to write. I I never thought I would write a parenting book. In fact, I swore that I would never write a parenting book. And then. Last year, my agent texted me, hey, Melanie, remember how you said you'd never write a parenting book? I've been thinking about that. And then like the little dot, dot, dot on the phone. <laughs> and I'm like waiting for her to come up with this brilliant other thing that I could write about. Like, okay, this is going to be so great. Tell me the other thing I could write about besides parenting. And then, and then she finally wrote, she was like, what if you just did it anyway? I was like, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> So I actually, that got me thinking and I took Evie, my youngest, to tumbling and mm -hmm. sat in that little airless. And here is an example of, I did not talk to other parents at that particular juncture. I sat on my phone <laughs> and I basically thumb typed out the entire introduction of this new book, just Get sitting there. And, um, and I just had a blast and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm writing a parenting book. And so, yeah, I mean, listen, I am not an expert, but I have learned a lot raising three kids from three different continents. Um, to, you know, both of my girls are adopted. Um, my son's in the middle. We and, and I've got a kid going into high school, a kid going into middle school, and a kid going into fourth grade. And so it's a book really that's meant to just make you laugh, I hope. That, that's my number one goal is I just want people to laugh, you know, to laugh at each other, to laugh at ourselves. Um, uh, the parenting is really challenging and stressful and that we can all kind of just calm down about it a little bit together and, and have a good time with it. So I've learned a lot of strategies on how to calm down. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to both sharing the things that I've learned the hard way over my years of parenting, but also just hopefully having a good laugh with everybody about how crazy hard it is. Well, I've always said I would never do a parenting book either because yeah. I, I feel like, well, that's, I'm going to have a drug addict if I write a parenting book, right? Oh, and yeah. Well, that's kind of how I ended the book. Like, you know, okay, <laughs> well, now this is going to go south because I wrote about it. <laughs> uh -oh. uh, but the more I think about it, the more I go, ooh, okay, maybe I don't have to wait till they're all grown. Yeah, maybe one day I could tackle it. And I, because I'm such a fan of the way you write, I can only imagine how funny this book is. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's. I'm really excited about it. Wow. I I got okay. to tell a lot. I got to tell a lot of fun stories, and um, yeah, it was great. Oh, I'm so impl oh. impressed that you wrote about parenting because it it fun. takes a lot of courage. I know. I'm going to be hiding under a rock all next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fun. Okay, so I have fun questions to ask you. Okay. First one, what is your Enneagram number? I'm a three. I'm oh, a, I, I love it. You're I'm, an I'm achiever. What, yeah, what are you? I'm a seven. People always think I'm a three, but I'm a seven. I we, get, we get confused a lot. There's a subtype of seven that looks like a three, but our motivations are a little bit different. But yeah, I, I'm, I totally I'm a, If that. you know Enneagram well, I'm a self-pressed seven. So I'm a mm -hmm. seven wing six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a three wing four. Mm. So um, I, which threes and fours are very opposite. And so I'm kind of like a walking conundrum, I guess. I, I, I kind of think of it like a three and I have this surprising four wing hanging off the back like a macabre mullet. Like my three <laughs> is like, I'm great. Everything's awesome. Achieve, achieve, people please. And then on the back, my four wing is like, can we just please stop and talk about our feelings <laughs> for just like a second? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the best visual. How do you manage as a three, as a parent wanting to, you know, have a to-do list and achieve and get everything right? Because achievement makes you feel good. How do you manage the long, hard slog of parenting where no one's telling you that you're achieving anything? Oh my gosh, that is the question. That is such a challenge for me. Um, I think it's why 
back when my kids were little, I did start blogging just to have something mm, yeah. to just get on my laptop and tap at the end of the day or first thing in the morning to feel like I was working on a little something um, that I cared about in addition to parenting. Um, and so whether it's my writing or, um, yeah, just, just finding ways to feel like I'm achieving things and, and uh, meeting goals um, even in the midst of like the laundry that will never be done, the dishes that will <laughs> never be done. Um, and then I, I think too, I've, I've had to learn to, to be in the moment and not constantly be thinking about my to-do list. And that is hard for me, but I do think my kids are teaching me about that. So actually, um, a friend asked me recently, you know, what's something that you're proud of? And honestly, normally I would say like, oh, I just wrote a whole book and, or, oh, I'm so excited to be coming on Allie Worthington's podcast. <laughs> you're like, you know, I think about the things that I do for work that I love. I love my work so much. But then in that moment when she said, what, what's something you're proud of? I actually was like, I've really shown up for my kids this last month really well. Mm. And I'm proud of myself because that does not come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. I, I would rather be working a lot of the time. I love, I love my job. Um, but I had like baked brownies and took them to their school. And I'd, I'd volunteered at school several times and I'd bid there for them like late at night when they wanted to talk. And, and I felt like, oh my gosh, I just want to sink into that. So as a three, I like to just feel good about the work and so and feel like I've pleased people and I'm, I'm a good worker. And so I'm trying to do that with motherhood as well. Like even though your kids will probably not often tell you like, mom, you're so great. That never happens. But <laughs> I can tell myself that and just feel that, that self-congratulation congratulatory, like, I was a good mom today. Oh, I love that. That's a great way to, to funnel that need to make sure you're checking things off your list and achieving. Yeah. That's so good. But what, what song do you have on repeat right now? Oh my gosh. Anything Aerosmith? Because um, Alex and I, my husband Alex and I, we actually mm -hmm. ditched Easter this year to fly to Vegas to see Aerosmith in residency in Vegas on Easter. <laughs> you're getting trouble with Jesus for that one. I mean, I definitely lost Christian points. We, <laughs> our, our church had a Saturday service, so we're like done. Yeah. Oh, so well, we took the kids. We did the whole. It counts. counts, right? We did the whole yeah. Easter thing on Saturday. Then we, then we left the kids with my parents, and we flew to Vegas, and we saw Aerosmith. And Aerosmith is my favorite. I actually wrote a blog post for Coffee and Crumbs um, about the whole experience, and I tried to work in as many song titles of Aerosmith as I could in the whole thing. But as yeah. one does. Do as you find that Steven Tyler, as he gets older, looks more and more like a grasshopper? He is so shredded, though. Like, he's, what, 71 years old? And I was like, oh, my gosh, there he is. How does he still look like that? I don't know. Um, yeah, he's beautiful. And his he could hit all the high notes. And, I mean, the piano came out of the floor of the concert. When they played Crying, which, you know, that's the Alicia Silverstone video. Yeah. And they showed the Alicia Silverstone video behind them on this huge screen while they sang it. And I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> okay. I love it. Okay. Anything Aerosmith. That's awesome. What about a movie or a show that you love right now? Okay. This one is, I, I binged the whole thing on Mother's Day with my head in a bag of Doritos on the couch. Ooh. Yes. And it you, you can't watch it around the kids probably if your kids are little because there is a bit of a language warning. But mm -hmm. um, Dead to Me on Netflix. I've was, never even heard of it. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. So it's, it's middle-aged women with no noticeable Botox. Like whatever they're doing is working. So like they look like <laughs> us. They look like... They just, it, it was, and, and it's their friendship that develops because they're both going through really, really difficult grief. And so it's this oh, wow. wig, wickedly dark humor about grief, which is totally my jam. Like it's, it's macabre and a little bit creepy in places, but also wickedly hilarious where you're laughing, but you shouldn't be laughing, which that's my favorite. Is Linda Cardellini the one who was in The Founder, and she's also married to Hawkeye and yes, Avengers? Yes, Okay, yes. she's she's great. She's in a she's, lot of things. Yes, she's such a good actress, and and Christina Applegate was amazing. The, and the two together, it was so good. Um, yeah, I will I will say because you know we just talked about motherhood, and so I just I want to say trigger warning for miscarriage on the oh. whole thing because that it might not be the show for you right now, depending on what you've just gone through or what you're healing from. I did not see that coming. Um, but my sense of humor, you know, and the time that I've had over, you know, I, I was ready for, I was ready for it, but I don't want to blindside anybody with that. That's yeah. really thoughtful. That's really nice. Yeah. What about a book that you've had recently that you love? I just read Big Little Lies. Hmm. 
And it's, I kept seeing the, the TV show win all these awards. It's mm-hmm. like Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman and all. And, and I kept seeing that win all these awards. And I was like, well, I haven't, I haven't seen the show, but I'm going to read the book. And the book was really fun. Again, it's like dark humor. And it's perfect for the topic today because it's all about like this really crazy, twisted intrigue about like moms of kindergarten students at this particular school is that the premise of the show yeah like i never knew yeah these are all moms of kindergarten kids and like the clicks that happen Mm -hmm. and the intrigue and the gossip and everything that happens between them but like i was laughing on one page and then like freaking out and wondering what was going to happen on the next page like it was it just really sucked me in and it i was like oh my gosh it's like a, a horror a horror book about my particular life you know being a suburban mom like so someone has written about this and there's like a really horrific tale twisted dark sinister tale the reason i i picked it up is i love stephen king and he endorsed it on the front cover and i was like well stephen king thinks it's awesome he i think he said it was like scary and funny i was like in those are my two favorites you know i don't do scary movies but i think that book sounds really fun it's really interesting. And and it is fun, but also it takes a dark turn. I'm not going to lie. Dark okay. turn. Good to know. Okay. That's a yeah. warning for me. That's a warning. I, that's my four wing. I'm like, ooh, dark turn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. What about a thing or a product that you discovered that made you text a friend and tell them that they had to have it? Okay. The, I guess this would fall in the thing camp. I don't, mm-hmm. Not a product. Not a product. Well, sort of. I don't know. Anyway, um, a few weeks ago, one of our pastors um, – I, I go to a North Point church and mm-hmm. here in Atlanta, and one of our pastors, Clay Scroggins, like flew to Facebook, I guess, and interviewed Sheryl Sandberg, their COO. Oh, wow. And it was really, really good. Like this interview, so if you went to like North Point's website, like mm-hmm. they, they have that, the interview, you can watch it. And it was really good. She talked about grief and um, dealing with grief because she lost her husband a few years ago, mm-hmm. suddenly. And, um, and she had just written a book called Option B. So I, I listened to this interview and it was helpful about processing grief and how to, how to develop resilience through grief. And we talk mm-hmm. about post-traumatic stress, but, but she talked about there's also post-traumatic uh, strength, I think. Oh, I love that. Um, and and her and so I bought the book immediately. Like I was in church pulling out my phone, like like pulling it up, and and I got the book, and I just finished it. And it and so this idea of building resilience through grief was really striking to me, and and I I absolutely love it. She wrote it with a guy called Adam Grant. Oh yeah, who, yeah, amazing. Yeah. So the two of them wrote this book, and she's very open with her own story of grief, and like, and also like raising her kids and deal and and helping her kids through their grief as well. And just, I have so much respect for her story, and then all of the helpfulness that she and Adam Grant share with us about how to get through it. So I have been telling everybody about the interview, and if you if you're if you watch the interview and you're like, yep, then you'll love the book because a lot of what they talk about the interview she unpacks in the book. That's great. We'll link it on the show notes for sure. Sweet. Okay, last question. What are you excited about these days? I'm excited about my next book. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Calm the heck down. <laughs> my parody, are, There's no chill my about book. calm the heck down. No, I, there's, <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> about this parody book that I promised I'd never write, but I did anyway. So I feel a little bit naughty. Like, ooh, I wrote a book that I told myself I wouldn't write. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's so exciting. So tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find your podcast, and just connect with you more. Yay. Um, so my podcast is called Lighten Up with Melanie Dale. And um, you can find everything at unexpected.org. That's my website. And on social media, I'm unexpected Mel, M-E-L. Um, and that's so I love I love Instagram. I love, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter. That's pretty much it. You will not find me on Pinterest. Or if you do, it's like a ghost, a shadow of my old self. I don't do Pinterest. Sorry. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show. You are wonderful and hilarious and insightful as always. It's great to talk to you. So good to talk to you too, Allie. Thanks for having me. Isn't Melanie great? I love her. I can't wait for her next book. So now let's take some time for you. You know that I love subscription boxes. There are little bits of happiness that arrive at our door And we, as women, especially those of us who are moms, we really get to spoil ourselves. I'm obsessed with FabFitFun. It is the best. It's a subscription box that sends you full-size amazing things four times a year. 
So it's, I mean, I feel like it's mostly beauty. It's beauty, it's wellness, it's fitness, it's home decor, but a lot of beauty stuff. And if you want to make me happy, give me expensive beauty stuff that I don't have to pay retail for, right? I just got the summer box. I had the spring box before it, and it is absolutely amazing. You get beauty products. It's mostly beauty products, honestly, which is great. You also get some like wellness and fitness and home decor. And it's really important for us as women, especially those of us who are moms, to invest in ourselves and invest in our happiness and you know, take care of ourselves in this way. It takes a lot more upkeep at 42 for me than it did at 32. Let's put it that way. So there's brands like Tarte and Kate Summerfield and Anthropology and Free People and Dr. Brandt, and that's just the beginning. I'm in love with them. So I've heard them on podcasts before, reached out and asked for a code that I could share with you too. So here's what you do to check it out. You go to fabfitfun.com and you use the code Allie, A-L-L-I, and that'll give you $10 off your box. So the box will be $39.99. Here's the great part. Everything that you get in the box, it's not samples, it's not overstock, it's really good stuff. In my last box, I calculated the cost, if I had paid retail, to be over $400. That's amazing. The businesswoman in me is very, very happy. So you can sign up now to make sure that you get your fall box so you don't miss out because they do sell out quickly. So you go to fabfitfun.com and use code Allie to get $10 off. Super fun. Okay, now let's move on to the coaching segment of the show. Today's live question is from Maureen. And I didn't read the whole thing at the beginning of the show when I just kind of give you a little highlight of what the questions are. But here's her whole question. She said, I'm an Enneagram 6 with a 5 wing. So I'm kind of crushed in a lack of trust and courage as well as an introvert. But I can feel like there is a bold, courageous woman that wants to be set free inside of me. How do I find her and bring her out? This is a really great question, and it's such a self-aware question. Well done. So first, I want to address the Enneagram thing. Enneagram sixes, you may know, some of my favorite people in the world. I have a six wing. Sixes make the world go round. Enneagram sixes with five wings are especially some of my favorite people. You have great strengths. As an Enneagram six with a five wing, your strengths are going to be, and five wing will tend to allow you to trust your inner observer and authority rather than going out and seeking validation from the world around you. It's going to give you a little bit more confidence in, in having really wise judgments because you're going to be able to research. And also that five wing is going to help you analyze. So it's going to help you kind of control the fears of a normal six because you have, you've been able to analyze things and you can kind of talk to yourself. The challenges you have as a six with a five wing is sometimes that five wing can kind of amplify your own fears and anxiety if you've almost done a little bit too too much research and overthought it. Another thing that can be a challenge for you is you may tend to back away from confrontation instead of tackling things head on. So those are some strengths. Those are some challenges. One thing I love about the Enneagram, the Enneagram isn't meant to pigeon-toe you. The Enneagram is useful because it helps you know where to grow. It is a tool for your growth. But it's not a, oh, I'm a six with a five wing, so these are going to be my challenges forever and I can't grow out of it. The way the Enneagram works is the healthier we get, the more like all of the numbers kind of in that circle that we are. So don't ever, don't ever get into the Enneagram and go, well, I'm just a six with a five wing, therefore X, Y, and Z. We all have areas that we can grow. We all have areas where we can be stronger. And it's important to keep working toward that and not have our Enneagram number be a crutch or an excuse not to grow. It's always on us to go grow. God's always calling us to grow and develop and be as healthy and, um, and as mature as we can be. So what I do want you to know is that being an introvert does not mean that you can't be bold and courageous. I'm an introvert and I consider myself pretty bold and courageous. I mean, not all the time, but when I need to be, I am. Being an introvert just means that you get your energy by being alone. So we can be around a lot of people. We can function in that way, but to recharge and to get re-energized, we need to be alone. I often need to be alone and I need to pray. I need to be alone and I need to, you know, think. I need to stay in my head for a little while. I need to read a book. I need to listen to a podcast. 
that's going to be super energizing for me. And then I can kind of go back out in the world and the world of people and social interactions and I'm there. It's all about what gives you energy and what drains your energy. Being an introvert does not mean that you can't kind of find that inner bold and courageous woman. It just means to re-energize that bold and courageous woman that you have inside, you have to be alone. You have to monitor how much energy you're giving when you're in a group of people. But the truth is that being a woman who lives a life of bravery and who steps out and puts herself out there, it doesn't mean that you have to feel like you can do it. It doesn't mean that you have to feel brave. It doesn't mean that you have to feel bold. You don't have to feel confident and know what you're doing at all. But I think what slows us down, especially as women, is that we think we have to feel a certain way to be able to do things. We don't. Here's the thing. To reach your goal and to do whatever you want to do in life, you don't have to be motivated. You just need to decide to do it. Motivation is a lie. We can't stay motivated all the time. We can't stay inspired all the time because we're going to wake up in the morning. We're not going to feel like doing it. We're going to kind of be up against this new line in life and it's going to take energy and it's going to take courage to step over it. And we're not going to feel like doing it. We're not going to be inspired and we're definitely not going to be motivated. And you know that when you're taking action, when you're stepping out in a new way, when you're trying something new, it's going to feel wrong. I promise you, you're going to feel insecure. You're going to deal with imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome, Joe Saxton and I talked about it recently on the podcast, but the key is to not let it stop you. I think sometimes that we think that our feelings are really smart, that feelings somehow equal deep internal wisdom. But here's a newsflash. They aren't. Our feelings aren't smart. Our feelings are fickle and they change all the time. Feelings are not wisdom. Our feelings are our brain's way of saying, don't risk, don't try anything new, you could get hurt. It makes sense why our brain would try to limit how much risk we take. Like our brain's trying to keep us safe. But once we make peace with the fact that we can notice our feelings, and then we can make a conscious decision to take action anyway. That's where real power happens. That's where magic happens. Our feelings are going to change all the time. One day we're going to feel one way, another day we're going to feel another way, and we're going to go, oh, well, I just need to trust my feelings and, you know, go with my feelings because I'm sure my feelings know what I should do. Your feelings do not know what you should do. Now, of course, if somebody is unkind to you, if, you know, God forbid you're being abused, if if something terrible is happening, of course your feelings are going to say, hey, don't, don't let this happen anymore. I have to stand up for myself. This is wrong. That's when you definitely want to listen to your feelings. But that is generally not people's everyday life. But what happens with our feelings in our everyday life is we need to send an email that we're nervous about. We need to, you know, raise our hand that we want a promotion. We need to go talk to somebody and we're a little bit nervous about it. Our feelings go, eh, I don't know. I don't, feel, I don't feel like that's a good idea. And you know what happens? We don't do it because we listen to our feelings. We don't need to listen to our feelings. We would need to turn our feelings off, make a conscious decision to take action anyway toward our goals. So the way you build trust in yourself and courage is to simply decide to take action. Take baby steps, even when your feelings are telling you not to do it. Your feelings are going to scream, this is a terrible idea. You don't want to do this. You could be hurt. You could be embarrassed. All those things. Because your feelings are always going to betray you when you need to do something important that takes courage. That's just the way they work. So you want to make peace with the fact that you won't be motivated to take those baby steps. But the truth is motivation is a lie. Nobody stays motivated all the time because we think we have to feel a certain way to be motivated. I wake up every morning and I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like going to the gym ever. I don't feel like doing anything. I feel like snuggling back into my bed and pulling my covers over my head and having some quality iPhone time where I get on Instagram and I look at my email and I see what's going on all over the internet, that would make me happy first thing in the morning. But I wouldn't be happy later in the day that I did it. But I promised myself that my goals are more important and I know if I hesitate at all, I'm going to lose momentum and I'm going to quickly talk myself out of getting out of bed and starting my day. And I'll regret it all day long. So I literally say to myself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here I go. And then I move. 
And what it does is it reminds me that I'm stronger than my feelings at the moment. And it reminds me where my ultimate strength comes from. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here I go. Boom. And then I take action. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here I go. I say it to myself in my head all the time. It reminds me that I don't have to be motivated. I don't have to feel like I'm confident. I don't have to feel comfortable to take action. And I know where my help comes from. It's not just me. I'm not the hero of my story. I'm not my own savior. If I want to do anything in this world, whether it's you know, do a good job at work or raise my kids or just get out of bed early in the morning, I need to know where my help comes from and where my strength comes from. Confidence only comes from taking action. Small baby steps toward any goal is going to build that confidence. But hesitating and then kind of going, oh, I don't know. It gives your mind time to go, you don't feel like doing this. You'd rather do something else that's more comfortable. That will kill your confidence. So as a six with a five wing, you're going to have a natural tendency to want to hold yourself back and overthink. You're going to see what the dangers are in any situation and you're going to feel way more comfortable just kind of shrinking back into yourself and analyzing it. There is nothing wrong with that. Sixes and fives are great because you actually investigate. You think things through. You find problems with things that could come up that save people if they'll listen to you that save people money and time and wasted energy. I love sixes, love fives too, you're brilliant. But you need to promise yourself that you will give yourself permission to take action even when you'd rather hang back. Even when it doesn't feel right. Even when you get to that situation and you're like, I, I don't feel confident, I feel insecure, I don't feel like it's a good idea for me to do what I was planning on doing. You can do some sort of mental trick like I do. You can use mine. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here I go. And what you're doing is you're telling your feelings, hey, take a back seat. I'm going to be intentional. I'm using my brain. It's mind over matter. And in this case, it's mind over feelings. And you're going to reap the benefits from taking action forever because it's one baby step after another. That's how you build confidence. Confidence only comes through a series of taking action and then taking more action and taking action again. And each time you do, it's going to get more and more comfortable. You're going to get more and more confident and you're going to be motivated to kind of let that inner bold and courageous woman come out because it just takes practice, but you can do it. Okay, today's faith question is from Jana who asked, what do I do if I think God is telling me one thing but no one in my life supports it? This is a very tough position to be in. I answered a question recently on the podcast about a spouse who felt like God was calling her to something, but her husband wasn't in support of it. Every situation's different. For you, if you think God is telling you something, but literally no one in your life supports it, I want you to pray to figure out, is this God's voice that you're hearing? And if it is, ask him if he will confirm it through other believers. Now, sometimes... When we say that and we're like, oh, I just need confirmation from someone else, we'll call a good friend and be like, listen, here's the situation I'm in. Can you pray about it? Because I need to figure out if God wants me to do X, Y, and Z. And we're kind of planting that seed in their head, right? Well, go pray about it, but this person really wants to do X, Y, and Z. So I feel like that's kind of cheating, you know? If you really want confirmation, it's something big, something big that you feel like God's telling you, but everyone's like, nope, that's crazy. We don't see that at all. You want to pray to God to send you people with a message so clear that you can't mistake it. Like somebody calls you up on the phone and goes, I know this sounds crazy, but I feel like God wants me to tell you X, Y, and Z. And then you wait for that confirmation. That's the safest way to get clear guidance. I believe that if God is giving you such clear direction on something very specific, that he will send messengers to confirm what he's saying. Now, there's other ways to confirm. There's, of course, scripture. And scripture is a great way to confirm it. You know, sometimes if we're praying about a situation and God will bring a specific verse to our mind and we'll find it, we'll go, oh, that's perfect. But we can also almost misuse scripture in this situation where if we, if we think, oh, I want to go in this direction, I feel like God's leading me in this direction, it's super easy for us to find five or ten different verses as we look through the Bible that will support whatever we want to do, right? So sometimes when it's something big, you want to go, 
God, this is so big. This is so huge. I'm so confused. I need you to send me messages. I need it to be so clear that I can't mistake it. And if I get those messages, I'm going to know for sure that it is you that I'm hearing from. And then we'll figure out next steps for changing the hearts of the people around me to support what it is that you're speaking into my life. But that, I think, is really, really important. So you don't go out fishing, but you're open to it from people. That is where some of the the biggest shifts in my life have happened. When I felt like God was telling me something, I was terrified about what, what God was telling me. And in one case, I had two women in the same day call me up and go, I know this is crazy, but God wants me to ask you X, Y, and Z. Or God told me to tell you X, Y, and Z. That never, <laughs> never happened until about the last six years. I've had it, it happen a few times in that last six years. And it's just God being so good to be so clear, to bring us along in the journey when we're unsure if we're hearing him. We're, you know, I always joke and go, I think this is God, but it could be Allie. So I need to wait and get some confirmation on this, right? But if you're hearing something that's so big and so clear and it's causing so much confusion in your life, you want to pray into messengers to come and give you a clear word from him. And we have a God that speaks. We have a God that does miracles and he does huge, amazing things every day. Don't limit God and say, oh, he doesn't do that anymore. Or, you know, <laughs> signs and wonders for it were in the Bible. They're today too, my friend. We, we live with the miraculous gift of salvation, but he's doing miracles in our lives every day. We just have to step up and be open to it. When we start leaning into him and faith and trust and going, okay, okay, Lord, I'm ready for more. I'm ready for what you have for me. I'm ready to partner with you on the life that you have for me. Help me to see things in a new way. Send me confirmation. Send me messengers. Send people around me who will help build me up in the faith. Give me materials to read that are going to open my eyes to more of you. This is key. And stay in scripture. Stay in prayer. Stay in the word. You are never going to go wrong if that's what you're doing. Okay, I think I answered that question. I answered it the best way I could. Um, but pray. Pray for confirmation. And he's, he's, he's going to send it. He's not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity. Okay, today's business question is from Penny who said, I'm multi-passionate in my pursuits. Can I launch my brand and focus on multiple things at once? It's a great question. There's an exception to every rule, but launching your brand with two or more different focuses tends to confuse your audience. I think it's easy for people to look to people like me and go, well, you're known for business and ministry and all these different things and think that that's a smart strategy to start with. It's a terrible strategy to start with. If I had started in 2006 and been like, hey, I'm a business coach and I um, am in the ministry and I do all these things, people will be like, uh, I, I feel like she's crazy. She does all these different things. I don't even know. I didn't start that way. My first two years, I was just blogging. I was just, you know, personal blog, casual. Then I started my conference and went into the business world. I didn't move into a minute, and that was 2008 that I went into the business space. I didn't move into a ministry space publicly until 2014, eight years after I first started building a personal brand. So it was a, a long step-by-step -step process. Really, the process, a lot of the process was just, you know, me dragging my feet because I was nervous to even make those pivots. You can be multi-passionate in your pursuits, but when you're launching your brand or your business, you need to give something to people that they can say, oh, this person or this company helps me with this. People need clarity or your messaging is going to be confusing. It's your job to be as clear as possible with who you are and how you can help people. If potential clients or customers are confused, they definitely won't trust you. And if they don't trust you, they're not going to buy from you. You can't have a successful brand without paying customers. And you're not going to have paying customers or clients unless people can go, oh, this company or this person, they do this. This person or this company, they are going to help me with this right here. You cannot be too clear when you're first starting out. But you can be super confusing. 
because you can be as a company we do this and we do that and we do this and people are going well I, I don't really know what they do. Apparently, they, they do everything. That just doesn't work. You have to build up to that. If you, Penny, are launching a personal brand and you have varied interests, stick with one for the first couple of years. Then once you're known from that, then slowly add in other things. It's a pivot. It's an evolution of a brand, and it's really healthy if it's done in a really smart, step-by-step, strategic way. So start with something that you can hang your hat on and that you can serve people with. Then you can add in more varied parts of your brand as time goes on. Okay, now it's time for recommendations. I don't have a song this week because I just haven't listened to much music that's new. I've listened to a lot of Worship for Fierce Faith playlist, and I got to tell y'all, it's so good. I just stay stuck in it. So I don't have any (laughs) new music discoveries, but if you do, DM me your recommendations and maybe we'll add them to the list. But the movie, we saw Toy Story 4, and it is brilliant, and it is wonderful. I was nervous because they ended the first three really well. Now, if you listen to my summer movie preview that I did with my friend Candace Payne here on the podcast, you know that I said, I hope that this is the beginning of a new trilogy. Like, that's my goal. Because seriously, how do you have four movies? Like, it should just be, you know, the first three and then the second three. I, reviewers and people are going, oh, this is the perfect send off to, to Toy Story. I get it, but I don't know if it's the mom in me that wants to keep seeing these movies with her kids or the businesswoman who's like, this is a brand that can still make so much money. Y'all are crazy to stop because they're bringing in new characters and the characters are really well done. We'll talk more about the characters in a minute, but The movie combines nostalgia with fresh new parts in a really fun way. So you get all the goodness of old Toy Story, but then a lot of just fresh new things that work in so well. I mean, this movie really focuses in on Woody more than Buzz, which is fine, but Woody's always been the star. The dialogue, super, super well done. And I mean, who? When was the last time you saw a cartoon and you were like, you know that the dialogue was fantastic. We don't, we don't do that at all. But like I said, they introduced new characters. The new characters were very strong. There's Duck and Bunny who are hilarious. I mean, they introduced a spork named Forky. And I love that character. I didn't know I'd, I'd be so emotional about a plastic spork, but I am. So he thinks he's trash and he has this existential crisis and it is absolutely brilliant. So I vote for more Toy Stories, not only because I want to see more, I want to, I want these to be coming out when I have grandchildren. That's how much I love Toy Story. I'm partial to it. My two oldest who are 20 and 18, they spent like a month of their life wearing Buzz and Woody costumes, like out in public. They go to gymnastics class dressed as Buzz and Woody. They slept in the PJs. I wasn't a mom who really made the kids dress well. So if you want to wear your Halloween costume for a whole month, that's totally fine. As y'all can imagine, I don't, I don't major in the minors. So it was really special for me. I, I want more of them. I think they're just, they're so good. And the businesswoman in me is like, y'all are crazy not to have more because this is genius. Okay. So that's it. I will send out recommendations. I will send out links and and all the show notes like I do every week. And if you don't get the show notes, go to my website and sign up for them. They're so handy. I give you all the stuff we talk about. I tell you the questions that I answer and even what time I answer them. So you can fast forward and get those answers in a really cool way. But I'm so glad you're here. I'm grateful for the time we have together every week. I want you to know that I believe in you. I believe in your dreams. I believe that you're making an impact on this world for good because the women who listen to this show are women who see what God has for them and you go for it. And I'm so happy to be a part of your week. I'll be back with you next Monday and I hope you have a great day.